So we're coming to the end of our series in Philippians. The um, weeks seem to go in really fast, and uh, and we're we're then have our our. It's traditionally our kind of vision month, which is the month of June. And uh, next week we've got Eddie Lyle from Open Doors, who's going to come and share a little bit about the persecuted church, and uh, which will be really worth hearing and, and engaging with, and, and as a church community, where we're kind of looking at how we engage with the persecuted church and the situation. And then uh, in a couple, and uh, together with that, we've got the Baptist Union Canopy. I believe a lot of us have volunteered, and uh, that's next Saturday, so that's a whole program, and you can come and be part of that, standing in Larbert High School. And then two weeks' time, uh, we've got our gathering weekend, so we've got the gathering on the, the Saturday, and we're, we're starting to look towards the future, and, and you know, the new thing that God's calling us to do, and what is that vision, and what is the shape and nature of the church going into that new thing that God is calling us to. So we're going to be grappling with that at the gathering, and then on the Sunday, we've got David Bebbington preaching, and uh, just, I, I, I invited David to preach because I, I just asked, you know, I'd I think it would be great for one of our long-standing established members, who just so happens to be a brilliant historian, um, to, to speak into the life of the church at this critical point, just where we are, and to hear you know, God's word to us as a community. And then in the evening, uh, we've got a baptismal service and, uh, and absolutely amazing stories in terms of God's transformation in people's lives. So uh, a lot to look forward to be, before we go into our summer programs uh, thereafter, but over the next couple of weeks, just moving towards that. So this morning, we're going to turn and uh, look at the, the last of a life worth living, and we're going to look at the idea of a new joy. And you'll know if you've been following the series, I've been looking at Philippians and exploring how Paul suggests we become robust in terms of our mental health, how we become robust in terms of the way that we approach life. Paul had gone through a whole series of situations. In fact, when he went actually to Philippi the first time to preach, he had ended up in jail, been beaten within an inch of his life, and, and yet God had still used him amazingly in that situation, and he still looked back at it. And despite the suffering, the pain, the apparent initial failure, God worked in his situation. And, and, uh, and uh, as he writes this letter, it looks like he's in Rome. And uh, it, he's sitting under arrest. He tells us that the Praetorian Guard are hearing about the gospel while he's under arrest. And he's about to face the emperor, possibly about to be executed. We don't think he was, actually, when... He probably got off this time, but not later on. But, but, but still, the prospect was not good in a Roman jail and, and sitting there and, and thinking about this. He'd been rejected by his people. He was not sure in terms of the future. And yet, he writes this letter of Philippians, and it's full of how you deal with life when it's tough. You see, life is hard. I've come to this conclusion. Uh, I've had my eight-month-old grandson living with me for two months now, and uh, old Joy. He managed to get himself in hospital on Friday, but anyway, that's another story. And uh, and and, but you know, if I was if I was to say anything to my grandson as he grows up, what will I impart to him? 
I would tell him life is tough. Okay, even even when it's going well, it's tough. <laughs> life is hard. You know, and 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 uh, you know, and also life is not only hard. Life is unfair. You know, bad things happen. Wrong things happen. Sometimes people have awful things that are perpetrated against them. You know, and, 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 and you find in life that as those things happen, as life is hard, as life is unfair, as, as bad things happen in life, people respond in different ways. And you know, some people get really bitter and twisted. You know, they get really resentful and they're just full of, of a kind of this horrible sense of injustice and wrongness. And, and I mean, I'm sure we've all seen people in that situation. There are others when things go wrong. And, and it's amazing that, you know, I, I know people who have contracted cancer and gone and seen them. And, and you know, and they say, Rather than, why me? Why not me? And, and, you, and you think, wow, what a different attitude. And, and, uh, and, and sometimes, actually, in terms of Christians, you, you can find this thing as well in, in terms of how we respond to life. See, we don't control life, but we do re- control how we respond. And one of the things that we see Paul, and I think as he comes to the end of this letter, he gives us this vivid account of how Christians, we should respond to the things that happen in our lives, to the disappointments, to the hearts, to the wrongs, in a way that we don't become bitter and twisted. And how do we do that? And how did Paul do that? Because you'll know if you read his letters, Paul had an awful lot of things that were unfair, where life was hard, where it was tough. And he just kept going and being faithful. And it's like, Paul, how did you do that? You know, what was the key? And here in Philippians, he explains it. And I think in Philippians chapter 4, he gives us the greatest insight into his own thinking, if you like, his own mental health and his keys to mental health. And this morning, I want to give you four of them to effective mental health. And we, we, we see that uh, as he starts, and he actually talks about conflict in the church and about a contention that's going on, and, and he encourages people to resolve these things and work these things out. And then he turns from that, and he gives us these four principles. And the first principle is, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Uh, Paul was a Hebrew, and uh, in the ancient world, they didn't have any way of emphasizing things so you couldn't put things in big type or bold or italics or anything like that. The, the way that you emphasize something was that you repeated it. And uh, throughout the Old Testament, you'll find this. So you just repeat yourself over and over. So if you find yourself repeating yourself, it's good. That's a good Old Testament thing to do. And, uh, and it was the way that you got emphasis. So when Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. He's giving us the first key in relation to our mental health. And there's something very interesting. We miss it in our English translations. Because the, the word rejoice sort of strikes us as a, as a, a particular, um, it, it has a kind of resonance 
I, I remember I was in this church in Edinburgh, and we had this woman, and she used to come to church, and she would smile all the time. And it was the most annoying thing ever. You know, it was the most disgusting. You would sit beside her, and, uh, but it wasn't something that you really wanted to be. It was like, it was a little bit out of touch. You know what, and, and, and people, oh, well, she's rejoicing always, okay? Paul is not talking about this. This isn't what Paul is trying to convey in this principle. He's not saying being in a kind of deluded state as if you're taking happy pills or something all the time and that you're kind of in that place. He's not saying that. That's not what Paul is advocating here. And when we immediately begin to look at the Greek words, we begin to understand it. See, today is Pentecost where we celebrate the coming of God's Spirit. And uh, there's a relationship between different words in the New Testament Greek. And uh, the word grace is the word charis. That's the word grace. But we also get the word charismatic from the word grace. And, And if you look at how it's connected, the idea of grace is connected to the Spirit. You see, the Spirit brings grace, charis. But charis is also related to the word joy, kara. See, they're all interrelated. So joy, spirit, grace are this this family of words that Paul is using. And the word here that he is using when he says rejoice in the Lord always is the word caro. It sounds like a drink I used to drink, but... uh, (laughs) But it's, it's related to these words, and it means glad for the grace you have received. You see, what Paul is saying here is not put on some kind of happy face no matter what's happening in your life and, and walk around with this artificially generated sense. You know, awful things happen, and when awful things happen as Christians, we have to enter into those things and experience those things and recognize the reality of these things. Christianity is not a form of denial. It recognizes the pain of life. But Paul says in the midst of that, rejoice. And what he's saying is, be glad for the grace that God will give you in that situation. You know, I, I, over the last few years, we have faced situations as a church. I've certainly faced situations as an individual in terms of family and things, which have been hard and tough and devastating. You know, that, that if you had told me a few years ago I would face, I would say, there's no way I can cope. And you know, that was true. There was no way I could cope. But God gave grace. And and what he's saying is rejoice in the Lord. What he's saying is recognize the way that the Spirit of God gives you what you need in the situation that you find yourself. Because that's what the Spirit does. He comes through as a supernatural resource that allows you to face things. I don't know how people face life who aren't Christians. Because life alone is way too hard. But with the Spirit of God, God gives us this resource in the situation we find ourselves. And as we recognize that resource and that gift, we can have joy. Even at the times of the greatest hurt, the greatest brokenness, the greatest injustice, the greatest wrong, we can have joy. Rejoice. 
And again, I say rejoice, recognize, be glad for the grace that God gives you. Oftentimes, when we begin to struggle, we lose sight of the provision of God for us. One of the things I was talking to a group of people, I can't even remember, and we, I was just talking, or in fact, it was last week, talking about the provision of God that God makes in situations. God provides. And just when you think, we're not going to have provision, we're going to hit the wall, we're going to burn out, <laughs> everything's going to fall apart, God makes provision. You know, there was an amazing provision last week. I'll, I'll just share this. We, we had the dedication. We had lots of unchurched people here. And uh, we did our readings as we always do. And uh, the reading that had been chosen weeks beforehand was Proverbs 3, verse 8. Or Proverbs chapter 3, which included these verses. At the end of the service, the family came up to me and they said, did you know these are the family verses? We've read these at every wedding, at every funeral. There's the words that we read for our family. And, and, and I said, no, we chose them eight weeks ago completely randomly, and we're just trying to fix the data. We just stuck it in here. God knew. God made provision. And he was making provision for that family and the unchurched people that were here last week to speak to them. God made provision. And that's what Paul means, rejoice. I say again, rejoice for the provision that God will make. He then goes on and he says, let everyone see your gentleness. And again, this is an interesting word. Our translation doesn't quite capture it, uh, the, the sense of what Paul's saying here. He says, let everybody see your gentleness because Jesus is coming back. It's... Like, whoa, that's an interesting <laughs> suggestion of juxtapositioning of ideas. Be gentle because Jesus is coming back. What's he talking about here? What's he trying to say? He's using the idea of forbearance. This is my new favorite word. I, I think forbearance is the key to a lot of what's happening in our society and how we relate to one another. But we need to have forbearance. It's a good old English word. And, and, and the idea of forbearance and the idea of this Greek word is make allowances for people. Make allowances for people. You know, it, it, forbearance is when you don't apply the law in the most exacting way that you possibly can. I was uh, going for, to get a carry out a couple of weeks ago. And I drove down. Uh, you know, we're by Easter's. Well, I, I just, just as you, Costa, uh, not you know, Costa Coffee, but uh, what is it? The filling station, I think, is on the corner. Anyway, there's, there's bays. It says loading bay, okay? And uh, usually that means you can stop there for 10 minutes while you collect something or whatever. So I went and collected there. It was four minutes, or five minutes, rather, five minutes to six o'clock, okay? And I went, picked up my food came back, and there was a parking ticket. Now, all the parking regs stopped at 6 o'clock, okay? And somebody had given me a ticket with four minutes to go, and I was sitting in a loading bay. I was being gracious. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I went, this can't be right. And then I went and looked, and the sign, which was miles away, 
actually said, good vehicles, loading only. Okay? See, you would think, and the guy had given me a ticket for four minutes because I wasn't a van. And, uh, and I kind of thought, you know, now, the minute I thought, oh, I'll appeal it. And then I thought, there's no point appealing this because, strictly speaking, I'm wrong. But I still felt dearly aggrieved. So if you work with the council, just know that. <laughs> Do you know what forbearance is? It's walking and saying, you're not getting the parking ticket. We know what the law is. We know what it is. But hey, we're going to make allowance. You know, we recognize that we are not perfect human beings. Sometimes in relation to our own lives, we have to allow ourselves that. You know, some of us have been brought up with an exactingness. You know, where any failure, any letting go, anything, there's been like this coming down on it like a ton of bricks. And you haven't lived with a forbearance. And what Paul is saying here is, have a forbearance in relation to how you deal with one another. And I think he's saying how you deal with yourself. You know, cut yourself a little bit of slack. And here's the thing. This is why he says, because Jesus is coming back, right? And this is why these two ideas are associated, because he's saying, when Jesus comes back, and he's thinking about what Jesus taught, and Jesus is saying, the standard that you evaluated other people by is the standard that Jesus will evaluate you by. I've, I've, that's always made me very keen on grace and the way I deal with other people. Uh, it was like Bono of you 2 who wrote a song about grace and someone asked him about it and he said, yeah, I believe in grace. I need it. And, uh, and, and it's like that. And Jesus says, the standard that you apply to other people is the way that Jesus will hold you account. So practice forbearance in relation to one another because God will practice forbearance in relation to you. It's a real incentive not to give someone a parking ticket with four minutes to go. <laughs> he then says, be anxious for nothing or do not be anxious. And, and he says... Um, but with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, come to God. Now, you know, anxiety is something that we don't necessarily control. It isn't certainly something that you don't switch on and off. You know, uh, you'll know if you've had an exam or something that you're not looking forward to or something's happened. You, you can't just say, oh, I'm not going to be anxious anymore. Um, you just can't do that. So, but what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you know, don't just sit there anxious. He's saying, when you're anxious, use it as a driver to pray and make petition and bring thanksgiving. And he's saying, when that anxiety takes hold of you, call out to God again for his grace, make petition in relation to the situation, and then thank God with thankfulness. Thank God. I... Uh, 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 we, we had the funeral of Perry, who is a godly, saintly member of our church just a few weeks ago. And, and Perry had a brain injury when he was nine years of age. And, uh, but he, so many ways, reflected Jesus in terms of the life of our church. He was a, a remarkable individual. And uh, they were, he was part of Lifeway. And uh, one week they were sitting and they were trying to work out a way to do prayers. 
And, and they said, let's get this jar. And what we'll do is we'll all write down, every time we meet, we'll write down something that we thank God for. And then we'll put it into the jar and then we'll pass the jar around and somebody will take out the thing we thank God for and read it. And we'll all thank God for it. And Perry said, let's call that the jar of joy. That's exactly right, Shona. <laughs> and, and the jar of joy. And, and, and kind of, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, see when you're anxious, pray and make petition, but also make thanksgiving. Think of something that you can thank God for in the midst of what you're going through. You know, maybe put it in a jar. <laughs> maybe collect them for a week and read them. A jar of joy. Be anxious for nothing. And he says, if you develop that as a habit, if you develop a habit where you have anxieties and they drive you to prayer and petition and, and you, it drives you to thanking God, Paul says this, and he says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I, I, I love that thought that it will create a wall of protection around your thought processes. may not resolve the situation, but it will build a wall of protection around the way that you think. That word peace is a brilliant, brilliant word. Again, it has a Hebrew context. It's the word shalom, and it means wholeness. It means the completeness, the healing of God, the wholeness of God. And, and what he's saying, the healing of God that surpasses all understanding because it's so amazing what he does in so many ways and in so many lives. That will protect you in terms of your thinking and your processes of thought. Finally, then Paul turns and he says, the last key, it's important to rejoice always. It's important to show forbearance. It's important to pray with thanksgiving. But lastly, it's so important in terms of the focus that you have. You know, in, 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 in Scotland, we are renowned for being negative. Uh, I, heard, uh, I, I heard of a professor who said, two positive statements can never make a negative. And the Scots guy at the back of the class went, aye, right. <laughs> now, uh, you know, in Scotland, people are successful. In America, they ask, how did they do it? In Scotland, they say, what's wrong? <laughs> They're being successful. You know, we, we, we have built a negativity into the way that we think and often we approach this. Often we focus on negatives rather than positives. Often, a lot of the times, a lot of the issues that we have is because we've learned to focus on negatives. And, and we become preoccupied with the negatives rather than the positives. We teach kids, rather than focus the stuff that you're really good at and thrive at it and build on it, we immediately say, well, you've got four A's, but you've got a B plus in English <laughs> or in maths. Ooh, that's really bad. What about the four A's? And, and, and we cultivate it. And again, we've learned this. And Paul says, he said, the key here, the fourth key is where you place your focus. 
And he said, this is where you need to place your focus. He said, you should focus on that which is true, that which is worthy of respect, that which is just, that which is pure, that which is lovely, that is which is commendable, that which is excellent and praiseworthy. Do you know, if you hang out with people, I'm sure we've all had this experience. You may be gone on holiday or whatever, and you hang out with someone that's negative all the time. That cup of tea wasn't made properly. You know, the weather's rubbish. Accommodation's dirty or something, or, you know, the shower was cold, or you ever have holidays like this? And, and, and you know, and you're going, wow, we're not going on holiday with this person again. And you certainly don't want to hang out with them because they're so negative all the time. They're just dragging you down all the time. And you, or you go on holiday with someone who, you know, you kind of arrive and the accommodation's not quite as good as it should have been or what you were expecting. And they go, hey, isn't it great? We've still got a roof over our heads tonight. <laughs> we can have so much fun. It's going to be an adventure. You know the sort. Sometimes annoying, but okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'll tell you, every time, I know what kind of person I want to hang out with. I would suggest to you the Holy Spirit also has those same preferences. And, and, uh, and uh, the, that when we are positive, it creates an environment of positivity. And what Paul is saying is, learn to see the good. You know, in every situation, even when it, it's a difficult situation or it's a he- setback or it's hard situation. There is something good that can be found in it. And Paul says, focus on that. Focus on what God is doing. How could Paul sit in a Roman jail cell and, and, and write a letter like Philippians? He could do it because he rejoiced always, because he understood God's forbearance towards him, and so he practiced forbearance in relation to others. He was someone who knew what it was to use anxiety as a driver for thanksgiving and prayer, and someone who found the good and the positive and saw how God was walking, working even in the most negative of situations. Robust mental health. Follow these principles, and I think you'll find that they will transform your life. They will transform the way that you relate to one another, and they'll transform whether people want to hang out with you or not. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just pray for all of us. Lord, we we recognize the hearts and the hardships. We recognize the unfair things. Lord, we recognize that it's not easy not to become bitter. It's not easy not to become twisted and, and, and use our hearts, even justifiable hearts, Lord, as a, as a means for expressing vitriolic. Lord, I, I, I just pray that if we find ourselves in these situations, that we will truly live life's patterned around the life of Paul, that we will follow his example as he encourages us to do. Lord, I pray that you would just enable us and help us in the situations that we find ourselves in, to rejoice always, to show that forbearance, to be full of thanksgiving that brings us into a place of peace 
and to be full of people who focus on that which is good, that which is healthy, and that which is positive. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.